Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we've got Jason Mitchell back on the show. Uh, Jason's been doing a lot of fishing since we last talked to him here on this podcast, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to get updated on some of the big trips that Jason's been been going on this summer uh, and filming for Jason Mitchell Outdoors Television. If you follow along on any of his social medias or YouTube, you already know that he's been going to Canada quite a bit this summer. A couple of times to Manitoba, a couple of times to Saskatchewan, some major trips, big trips. And we're going to get some behind the scenes conversation, you know, just talking about, uh, you know, the travel and the, the location of these places and how to get there and, and everything that goes into that and and uh, what's great about them. And definitely going to talk about the fishing in each and every place, uh, the fishing that Jason has experienced. And I'm talking about Gunnaseo Lake in Manitoba. Uh, that's a fly in. And then a drive to destination in Saskatchewan at Last Mountain Lake. And then another fly in in northern Saskatchewan uh, upon Tazan Lake uh, for big lake trout. Super, just bucket list, bucket list places. And then wrapping it up uh, recently, coming back from Baker's Narrows Lodge on Lake uh, Athapapascal in northwest Manitoba. And, you know, just, just some just great trips. Uh, but this is definitely, it's fun to have Jason just really tell the stories kind of from a behind-the-scenes standpoint. So that's a lot of what this is. Uh, just just some great storytelling from Jason and some of these great Canadian destination trips that he's been taking so far uh, this open water season. So let's get to it. Jason Mitchell, the Canadian Tour. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by the CT360 from Brew City. The CT360 is a low-profile, heavy-duty pole mounting system made specifically for forward-facing sonar. The usability, the ease of installation, the CT360 can be installed on a rail, on a track system, it can be fastened right to the gunnel, and the durability made out of nothing but high-quality materials is what sets the CT360 apart from Brew City. For more information, head to BrewCityTMS.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. The fishing opportunities across the state of Montana are phenomenal. If you're from there or you've already been there a bunch to experience it, you know just how special these opportunities are. If you haven't, fishing out west should absolutely be on your bucket list. But aquatic invasive species like zebra mussels and Eurasian water milfoil can harm recreational opportunities. As boaters, as anglers, we have the ability to help protect Montana's waters by cleaning all mud, plants and debris off our boat, recreational equipment, and fishing gear before we leave any access sites. Drain the water from your motor, your live well, your bilges, and allow your boat and equipment time to dry before your next outing. No matter what watercraft you use, please, if you're traveling in the state of Montana, stop at all inspection stations. Together, we can protect Montana's waters. Visit the link in the description of this podcast for more information. That's fwp.mt. Gov backslash AIS. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by Shields. Shields is your one-stop shop retailer for all your outdoor needs with over 30 locations across the United States. Every single department is full of the best brands on inventory and a knowledgeable staff to give you great service, including the fishing department. For more information or to find a store near you, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That's Shields.com. And if you don't find a location near you, rest assured, all their best deals are online as well. So the only thing left to do is to go check them out. Link is in the description of this podcast. 
This podcast is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. To check out more of what they got, head to their website, northlandtackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about some of the filming that you've done, most specifically you know, the Canadian trips, the destination trips that you've been doing this summer and filming about. We haven't talked about any of them on a podcast yet, so this is going to be all fresh and new and great information, and I'm hoping we can get some stories out of you, but um, yeah, man, uh, you did some Canadian trips this year, uh, definitely four notable ones. You went to Bud's, uh, Gunna Sail, uh, Last Mountain Lake, Tazan Lake, Saskatchewan. You just got back from Baker's Narrows. Let's start with Bud's, man. Tell me tell me about these Canadian trips, starting with uh, that trip up to Bud's. Yeah, so we went up to Canada four different times this year, and Bud's was the first trip that we went on. And Bud's is a fly-in camp. It's uh, it's pretty unique. You you get to Winnipeg, and you fly out of Winnipeg out of St. Andrews. I want to say it's like 6.30 in the morning. So you get there, you have breakfast, and you're all fishing that day. And uh, what what really separates Bud's or makes it somewhat unique compared to a lot of flying camps that I've been to anyways, they actually built a runway on the island, so they charter a flight from Winnipeg to this island. <laughs> and uh, so it's, uh, I think that has kind of helped put them over the top and since they can bring groceries in, they can bring people in a little bit cheaper than what a float plane would normally cost. And, you know, they can just get supplies in and out a lot easier because of that runway that they built. And I don't know how they built that runway. I mean, it's just all rock Canadian shield, <laughs> you know, it must've been quite a, quite an undertaking, you know, just finding the Island that you could do that on and then, and building an actual runway but they land chartered flights on this island and then the lodge is located right on the island and it's just really crazy good fishing it's probably some of the best walleye fishing i've ever seen i mean you know it it, it costs some money to go up there you know so it's not you know like it's not something for everybody but boy if you could ever save up and do it you know just once in your life it's definitely a bucket list i mean you're catching you know, depending on how hard you want to work at it, but 50 to 100 fish a day, pretty easy. But a lot of those fish, you know, you're going to catch a lot of fish over 24 inches up to about 30 inches, you know. And and uh, what's what I find fascinating about this lake is I'm guessing, just looking at a map, I'm guessing that Gunnasail Lake might be, I'm guessing, 12 to maybe 15,000 acres of water. It's got a lot of islands and stuff, so it's a pretty good chunk of water, but it's a lot smaller than a lot of places that we go to. And... Uh, that lake uh, produces a, a big percentage of the master angler walleyes that are caught out of Manitoba each summer. Now, Lake Winnipeg obviously leads a pack in the wintertime, but uh, Gunnasail Lake produces a lot of big fish. And, and think about it, it's one camp. There might be 10 to 20 people fishing it a day out of this camp, you know. And so it's pretty impressive. I mean, the number of big fish you get caught is staggering. You know, fish over 28 inches, and uh, you just catch a lot of fish. I mean, you're catching plenty of fish for shore lunch and I mean, you're just catching fish all the time and a lot of these fish are big and they fight hard it's just a, and it's when we've been up there i've been up there twice now and uh both times been you know july august time frame you know midsummer and it's all you know deeper structure that's say 20 to 30 feet of water vertical jigging and so you know talk about a fun way to catch them too you know i don't know anybody that doesn't love catching a big walleye below the boat on a jig you know, so it was a tremendous opportunity. Then I was able to bring my son up this time too. So that was just kind of the icing on the cake. So. 
Yeah, man. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about the lodge, you know, and the fishing. Like, is it, is it all a guided deal? Like, do they have boats? Do most everybody, is it kind of DIY once you get there? Like, and how tricky is the lake to fish? Like, tell me a little bit about that. No, it's pretty, it's pretty over the top. I mean, it's, uh, you get there and somebody's making your food for you all the time. Uh, people are bringing coffee to your room in the morning. People bring your uh, appetizers to your room in the evenings after you get off the water. And everybody goes down to a boat and uh, everybody has a guide. You know, so every boat has a guide. There's no DIY. There's, you, you just sit in the boat and throw your jig over the side and fish. And so it's easy. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, 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 you know, you're running the boat all the time. It's like, man, you really feel like you're on vacation, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, and the guides are really good. You know, they, they control the boat great. They know the lake, they know where to go. And, uh, so yeah, that's about the most relaxing, easiest fishing I've ever done. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about like kind of the specifics of your trip and how the fishing was. What were like the conditions like? Were Was it good? Was it average? Did you have tough conditions? Like, what was the fishing like for you guys day to day and just some of the things that you were picking up on? Well, the fishing overall was great. I mean, we caught a lot of fish every day and my son caught a lot of fish. So it was just great. And, uh, mostly a jig and frozen shiner. I did use a glide bait and caught some fish doing that. I messed around with some plastics, but basically hanging the jig over the side, one to maybe six inches off the bottom, not really moving the jig much seemed to be kind of the program. And, uh, Goodness, it was cold, it was windy, it was rainy. It was kind of, you know, really kind of cold front conditions when we were there. But uh, the fishing was just tremendous. And I don't know how it could be any better. I mean, I'm sure it can be, and it is. But uh, we caught so many fish that we were busy all day. And uh, we probably caught enough fish the first three hours to film a half-hour show, you know. And uh, we just kept on fishing, you know. And, And then we did some shore lunches, which, you know, was a lot of fun up there, too. That's a big part of the trip. And what, here's what's interesting, though, is that, you know, it's a pretty good-sized lake. And I don't remember how deep it gets, but it's deep enough to where there's ciscos or tulipies in the lake. And evidently, this lake at one time was commercially netted for lake trout. I'm talking like 60, 70, 80 years ago. And I don't, I don't even know how they, how they got the lake trout out of the lake because it's a flying lake. So I don't know if they used a winter road or if it was, it was some of the native tribes that were netting them or what. But nobody's seen a lake trout like in 30 years, like one lake trawl has been seen in the last 30 years. And so you wonder that that's part of what's going on with kind of say a lake is that, you know, almost all those big, deep lakes up there that have big tulipy populations also have big lake trawl populations. And then you net those fish off and say, if you net them in the fall when they're spawning and you wipe out every trout, then the only predator that's left are walleyes. <laughs> I don't know if that's why they're so big compared to everywhere else. I'm not sure. But uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, wow, how do you go from commercially netting a lake? There must have been so many that you wanted to commercially net it to people have seen one lake trout in 30 years. Pretty crazy, huh? Yeah, man, that is super crazy. That's definitely the kind of stuff that, you know, guys like me obsess about. Like, you know, like thinking about this show and all the interviews on this podcast. And you're talking about how, you know, Cisco forage bases grow big fish. But, yeah, like you're you're almost always you know, think about like, you know, down in the States, you know, some of the stock Cisco's on the Missouri river system, Fort Peck, we've talked about a million times, you know, but that's lake trout, salmon and walleyes and pike, like everything's living off of that forage base. And you get up into Canada, everything's living off that forage base. You get a, you get a population of walleyes that basically have it to themselves. Yeah. 
that uh, I think yeah, that, I don't that know if that's apart. the reason, but it, it kind of got my wheels turning. You no, know, first of all, I found it fascinating that you know you could wipe out an entire population of fish with nets. Yeah, that sounds know? crazy. You know, by you know, it makes sense if you were to do it in the fall where those fish are. You know, I mean, there's some lakes where every lake trout spawns in a you know on a couple of reefs. You know, and, and in a lot of those lakes, they actually close the season down. You know, but uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. And I don't know, I'm just speculating. Right, you know, right, that, right. That I, I found that interesting. Yeah, 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 definitely. And realistically, it's such a remote lake and it's such an isolated situation that you know those types of questions will probably never get answered. But that. That's definitely a, you know, it's very interesting. That'd be very, very interesting. Yeah, man. No, that's awesome, man. Anything else on Buds? Oh, just a great trip. I mean, it was, it was so special. I mean, I have to pinch myself every day. You know, I, I mean, I grew up riding a bike down to the Mouse River and Minot catching bullheads and suckers, you know, and just loving the fish. And goodness, you know, I'm sitting on an airplane with my oldest son and we're going to a place like that and filming a show. And it's like, wow. I mean, yeah. I got to pinch my, like, how did I get so lucky in life? You know, it's like, wow. <laughs> you know, you think about a place like that, right? You say it's not for everybody all the time, but if you can save up, you know, that, that, that's one of those like just true bucket list type of places, man. Well, when you flew back from there, then we did a turn and burn over to last mountain Lake over in Saskatchewan. Let's move on to that one. Tell me about that one. Yeah, well, you were on a, with that trip, yeah. or you were along with that trip, and yeah, you met me in Winnipeg with a pickup and boat. I hopped in the pickup with you, and we burned over to Last Mountain, which, uh, you know, Saskatchewan, at least southern Saskatchewan, it looks just like western North Dakota, so I felt like I was at home. I, I love southern Saskatchewan. <laughs> it's like traveling back in time, you know, really friendly people and wide open prairie, you know, and, and uh Last Mountain is located just maybe an hour north of Regina, so it's not that far over the border. And I actually have quite a few friends that fish Last Mountain, you know, because it's not that terribly far from, like, Minot or Williston. And and people were really starting to go up there when, I don't know, it was maybe 15 years ago when Sakakawea was in such tough shape from the low water years. And people were, you know, looking for other places to fish. And so Last Mountain was on a lot of people's radar. So I you know, I'd heard a lot about it, and I'd heard, you know, what a tremendous fishery it can be. And uh, we went up there, and uh, goodness, it was good fishing. I mean, it was really good fishing. I thought, I mean, lots of 20 to 24, 25-inch fish, few fish over 25 inches. But uh, it was, and you look at a map of the lake, and, and before I got there, I would have swore that Last Mountain was a reservoir, the way it looks on a map. It's just long and narrow. It looks like a reservoir on a river. You know, it looks like a... On a map, you know, from an overview, it doesn't look that much different than, say, like Lake Darling or Jamestown Reservoir, you know. And uh, get up there and you find out it's a it's a natural lake. And uh, it has, like, just one big long channel going right down the middle of it. So it's not like there's a lot of complex structure. And basically, you're just running contours. And so we were running bottom balsers and butterfly blades. And, again, you know, we were, we were up there during a massive cold front. I mean, when we got out the first morning it was you know probably 25 30 mile an hour winds we were able to duck out of the wind a little bit and just you know back troll along the contours we were marking all kinds of fish uh we were fishing with rob schultz out of gns marina who was kind of the guy up there I and mean, he's uh been guiding on that water forever just a real likable person a lot of experience uh, just uh 
you know, just kind of the lake legend up in that part of the world. And uh, so we were so fortunate to, you know, to fish with him and kind of pick his brains and learn Last Mountain with him. And, you know, and to be honest, when we're filming these shows, I always try to line up with somebody that can offer so much more than what I can. You know, I just go and visit these places. But you take a guy like Rob that's been living on a lake, fishing it for 40-plus years, the the information that he can share with our viewers is so much more in-depth and uh, in in there's just such a better context, you know, and so we always try to, if possible, I mean, sometimes I fish by myself and film shows and we get it done, but uh, I always feel like, you know, the people that we bring on our show, the fish, those are the stars of the show. And so it was great to have Rob on and uh, goodness, we caught a lot of fish. It was great fishing. It was a lot of fun. You know, it was the same deal. Who doesn't like to catch fish hitting a bottom bouncer when you're holding it in your hand? You know, those fish are just, those, those fish were fought hard too. So it was a lot of fun. Let's talk about like who the the audience that would be targeted to go to a place like this. Well, I tell you what, if you just you know if you have your own boat, and your own equipment, and you do a little bit of fishing, and you just want to do something different and catch a lot of fish, uh, Last Mountain is an easy to reach drive to fishery that's just north of the border in Saskatchewan, and uh, it's Blacktop Highway the whole way, you know, to most of the major boat ramps. It's it sets up. I mean, granted, we were going out there with one of the best guides on the lake who's holding our hand. I mean, out there um so you know you know they, they, we just went to an area where he knew there was some fish it was somewhat out of the wind because it was so windy it sounded like they were catching some bigger fish north of where we were but it was so windy we didn't even attempt it and um you look at an overview map like a contour map of last mountain it's just like a big long narrow slit of a lake there's just a deeper trench that runs right down the middle of it that know maybe varies from 40 to 60 feet of water and we were just on that 20 foot contour and so from what i saw you know you just go up and down that lake and you go until you mark start marking fish you're going to start marking all kinds of cisco you're going to mark walleyes and when you start seeing some activity on your on your electronics then you slow down and fish you know but um goodness uh it's a tremendous tremendous drive to fishery that's that's easy to get to you know and uh and it sets up really well for um you know, especially when you get, when you can catch fish, just, you know, fishing a general depth, it's pretty much in a straight line that, uh, where you can run say bottom bouncers and spinners or bottom bouncers and a crawler and cover some water, you know, that's a, that sets up for pretty easy fishing, you know? And so last mountain, I was impressed with that. I definitely want to go back up there and spend more time. I, I came away intrigued by that place. Uh, you know, you look at Bud's going to sail, that's kind of an over the top deal where, you know, for the average person, you know, maybe it's a deal where you just save up and do it once, just like a bucket list thing where you just want to go see some of the best walleye fishing on the planet, catch them with a vertical jig, you know, do the fly-in deal, you know, go up in a cabin, you know, and you know, have eat great food. I mean, that's, uh, you know, say if you want to take your, your, your dad or your son or do something like, you know, really special, uh, you know, that's over the top, you know, as good as it gets. You know, and obviously both those trips – you know, cost different amounts of money too. You know, you could probably go up to Last Mountain, you know, uh, a dozen times what it would cost to go to Bud's once. You know, so they're they're it's apples and oranges. But uh, hopefully, you know, people can you know experience each sometime in their life. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about the fishing specifically, like that we experience when we film that show, right? Uh, like uh, this this episode, same with the Buds. Go to the YouTube channel and watch those episodes. The information's all there, but I kind of want to talk about it kind of from a behind-the-scenes standpoint 
we had a little bit of information going there. Uh, we knew we were going to fish with Rob, but you know, we kind of went there anticipating at least a little bit that maybe we would troll some lead core and then we had to make some adjustments the conditions were a big factor in how we fish and made those decisions like talk about that a little bit you already mentioned like we had a big blow the morning that we started fishing and it was you know temperatures were dropped a little bit um you know walk us through that a little bit kind of from behind the scenes yeah so you know we started off and uh we put lead core out and uh you know, you'd use one line, one rod in Saskatchewan. So we, we, were, we were running two lead core rods out the back of the boat. And, you know, we followed the contour. And uh, yeah, I felt good about the boat control. I mean, I felt like, you know, it was kind of keeping it where we needed to be. and felt like our baits were running right. And, um, you know, we didn't switch up baits a lot. And it's not like I was reeling in nonstop and switching baits and switching colors and stuff. But, uh, you know, we made it what I felt was a really good pass where we went maybe, I don't know, two miles or so down that contour, and we were marking all kinds of fish. And uh, uh, we had one swing and a miss, fish got off, then about 10 seconds later we hooked up and caught one that was maybe, I don't know, 20, 21 inches maybe. So okay, so we got you know, a little bit of activity, you know, but we're marking way more, you know, we should be catching way more. And then we went down and then we came back and i think halfway coming back you know we still hadn't caught any more fish pulling cranks and it just uh you know it, it, at some point you know you're, you're you know you know you're in the right areas but maybe you're not doing the right thing you know sometimes you just have to make some adjustments and so we just called an audible and thought, well let's go right back through here and slow down and back troll at a mile an hour with bottom bouncers and maybe some live bait and uh and see what that does, you know. And so we went with uh, uh, butterfly blades, which I just love using those when you're crawling at slow speeds. You know, they just turn at the slowest, slowest speed. And it just gives a little bit of flutter, a little bit of flash, a little bit of vibration. And uh, we were using the pole crawlers, and uh, we started catching fish uh, almost immediately. And then uh, uh, I was using just a plain butterfly blade. I don't even remember what color, but I remember Rob was using a butterfly blade that had a float on it. It was kind of a green chrome color uh and uh goodness he caught like three or four fish in a row you know and so then i went to a butterfly blade with a float as well thinking maybe it's running a little bit higher or maybe it's running a little bit cleaner with that float and uh you know we started we were just catching a lot of fish on it and so you know just kind of a deal where you you know you can only think so much when you're fishing uh you you know you can't tell the fish what you're gonna do you know you 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 try different things, and if something doesn't work, well, then you you make adjustments, you know. And so, I guess that's pretty common with fishing, especially right now this time of year. Is that, uh, and I don't know for the life of me, I don't know the reasons why. I mean, we can theorize and come up with all kinds of reasons that sound good, but some days, for whatever reason, the fish aren't hitting cranks, or they won't respond to a glide bait, or they won't do eat certain things. But then it's like a switch; you put something else down there, and it's just like all of a sudden you're starting catching all kinds of fish, you know, uh, we see that all the time and we see it where there's times, for example, where you go through an area with live bait, for example, and you struggle, you come back through with a glide bait and you just start getting these reaction bites where these fish are just on fire, you know, and, and then some days it's the exact opposite. You go through and you maybe catch one or two fish on a glide bait and everything else comes on bait, you know, or on plastics, you know, and so you just sometimes with fish and you just have to, I guess go through like a process of elimination and, you know, you know, you're on the spot, you know, you're on the fish and 
if something ain't working, you keep trying different things until you uh, until you figure it out. That's why it's so important, I think, to be versatile, where you don't get hung up on one thing because sometimes that one sometimes that one thing is going to let you down. And so you just have to you know have no pride, and do whatever you got to do. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by the CT360 made by Brew City. The CT360 is a heavy-duty, low-profile, very versatile pole mounting system made specifically for operating forward-facing sonar. This is a very durable product made out of high-quality materials, very versatile and easy to use as well as easy to install. It can be incorporated onto a rail system or a track or just attached directly to the gunnel if you know exactly where you want it to be. For more information on Brew City's CT360 pole mounting system, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That is brewcitytms.com. The fishing opportunities across the state of Montana are phenomenal. If you're from there or you've already been there a bunch to experience it, you know just how special these opportunities are. If you haven't, fishing out west should absolutely be on your bucket list. But aquatic invasive species like zebra mussels and Eurasian water milfoil can harm recreational opportunities. As boaters, as anglers, we have the ability to help protect Montana's waters by cleaning all mud, plants and debris off our boat, recreational equipment, and fishing gear before we leave any access sites. Drain the water from your motor, your live well, your bilges, and allow your boat and equipment time to dry before your next outing. No matter what watercraft you use, please, if you're traveling in the state of Montana, stop at all inspection stations. Together, we can protect Montana's waters. Visit the link in the description of this podcast for more information. That's fwp.mt. .gov backslash AIS. Shields is your one-stop shop retailer for all your outdoor needs with over 30 locations across the United States. Every single department is full of the best brands on inventory and a knowledgeable staff to give you great service, including the fishing department. For more information or to find a store near you, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That's shields.com. And if you don't find a location near you, rest assured, all their best deals are online as well. So the only thing left to do is to go check them out. Link is in the description of this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. To check out more of what they got, head to their website, northlandtackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. You know, you know, part of that message, and I'm involved in this too, video and, and editing and stuff, it's like, you know, when it when something airs on television that we make or what you know, we want to showcase what's working. We want you know, we want to highlight the you know, the best information. And you can't always show all that behind the scenes stuff. And so often it's like you know, if there's some criticism out there, sometimes it's that uh, you know you you know Jason Mitchell, you know, we're always going to the best places at the best time. We fish with the best people. We can do no wrong. It's like. 
No, man, like we go places all the time. We drive many, many hours and we experience tough conditions. We got to make those decisions. We got to make those adjustments. And that was a classic, you know, that was a classic one where, you know, we're bouncing around in the boat and those big waves, the wind was blowing and uh, you guys were having really fishy conversations in the boat, figuring out what we were going to do to catch those fish. And it was just really fun. So hopefully, hopefully when people watch that episode, they really enjoy it and get a lot out of it. But it was very fun to make and a very, very, uh, very, very cool um, project for sure. in a very cool place. Um, anything else on Last Mountain? Yeah, and I think, well, and I think it's worth mentioning, too, that a lot of times when you see a show, you know, where we're catching all kinds of fish, you know, we might have tried fishing two days with things that didn't work you know before we figured out something that worked good enough to film a show and and maybe there's a there's some just criticism or why don't you talk about the things that didn't work because that's valuable which it's valuable to me as an angler like if i'm talking to somebody at the bull ramp and they just tell me yeah i did this this and this and i tried this this and this and i didn't catch a fish today that's to me is as valuable as somebody telling me where they did catch fish right and so that's valuable information uh, there, there's things you can learn from it. It's just that if we were to show, you know, we only have like with a half hour TV show, we only have like 20 minutes you know, by right. the time you have commercials and everything else. So if we were to show all the things that didn't work, you know, we'd probably have the lowest ratings on TV from a Ron Nielsen rating. So, so the people that are really in tune to fishing, yeah, they, they'll watch something to see what didn't work and, uh, and take that, you know, and, and take that information and know how to constructively use it. But, uh, it wouldn't be it wouldn't it'd be too boring for the masses. <laughs> right, right, right. And I think you know, and that's where the podcast is perfect. So I love I love getting to talk about that stuff. Um, you know, on here with you because yeah, that is a big part of the story. And uh, yeah, for sure. Well, here's so well. So here's what's funny, right? To add some perspective, because you know, like if you're pushing, if you're trying to figure out new things, if you're trying to learn a new presentation, if you're just obsessed with fishing, where you're just trying different things and trying to or if you're trying to target a specific species, or if you're trying to target a specific size, like say if you're trying to catch bigger fish, whatever it is, right, as your journey in life goes down these different roads, you know, you're going to try things that don't work. You have to, right? Like, um, for example, say you're reading stocking reports, and golly, I've never seen anybody fishing on that slough, and they stocked it five years ago. I'm going to go try it. You know what? You might go out there and catch nothing, right? I mean, that's just, if you're you're going to really, you know, try to fish at what I would consider like a high level and, 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 uh, and be kind of on the forefront of things. You're going to, you're going to do things that don't work and you're going to have to be okay with that. Right. And so recently I just put a, I just put a, a, a post on our Instagram stories. It was, it was actually from last month where we were eating those, those uh, Cloverdale brats. Right. Remember that when we were frying them up yeah, for supper, yeah, we were yeah. starving. We didn't have nothing to eat. We had bread and some Cloverdale's and ketchup and we were good to go. Right. And so I had a little video frying them up or whatever. I had it on Instagram stories that this is for when you don't catch any fish, you know, and then I put a little poll on there. Do you always catch fish or something like that? Or do you ever have days where you don't catch anything or whatever? And last I looked at it, like 30 percent of the people that responded said that they always catch fish, you know, I'm thinking always. Like, yeah. like, 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 are you going off the dock and catching four inch sunfish? I mean, like you always catch fish. Like, how is that possible? Like either, like, like seriously, how is it possible? Like, uh, do you fish once a summer? And, and, uh, I don't know, but I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how many days I haven't caught fish oh, my yeah. goodness, or, or not caught the fish that I was hoping to, you know, I don't know what the threshold is as far as fish. You know, you think that would be like, always catch fish. That would be like more than one, you know, I mean, I don't know. 
people that are way better at fishing than I am, I guess, because man, fishing would be the most humiliating thing in the world. You know, it's like, boy, talk about some bad karma. You answer yes on that poll, and my God, you're setting yourself up for something. Yeah, no <laughs> something kidding. Something not good. <laughs> I always catch fish, or I always, you know, I don't care how good a fishing it is, you know. Just wait. Just watch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just keep trying. Yeah, no kidding, man. No kidding. Things well, change. <laughs> yeah, dude. And 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 that's the thing is like these this Canadian tour that you on, man, is like, dude, just just a just a hitter trip after a hitter trip. You went from buds to last mountain, and they were so different. Like you said, apples and oranges, and just a, but really cool in their own right. And then watching your social media, you're back up on another just unbelievable world-class fishery in northern Saskatchewan. So I don't know, it was maybe, I don't know, maybe a month or so after last mountain, I went up to Tazan Lake, which uh, was kind of a kind of a bucket list thing for me. I mean, a lot of places I go are bucket list, you know, and, and I got to pinch myself. But Tazan Lake, what intrigued me about that was that I've always wanted to do like a, like a over-the-top fly-in for a huge lake trout. I mean, I've caught, you know, 40 inch fish or you know we've caught 40 inch fish you know fishing through a lot of drive to places and uh i just wanted to go to one of those one of those renowned places where you have a chance of say catching a 45 inch lake i mean that's a whole nother species you know and so we went up to tazan lake which you know when we got that trip all put together i didn't realize you know we were flying out of fort mcmurray alberta which you look at a map it's northern alberta it's a it's a drive to get up there it was like it took us 21 hours to drive to fort mcmurray alberta from devil's lake <laughs> but we just you know we drove all night and just put the hammer down and went and um we uh we got, and you could fly into Fort McMurray too. And so that's what I think what most people do, but we had so much camera gear and stuff that we just decided just to drive up there. And, uh, from Fort McMurray, we flew in probably a, I don't know, I think it took us an hour and a half to land a float plane onto Tazan Lake. And it was, it was pretty cool. And we met some cool guys from rugby that were up there, small world, you know, we're in camp with two other guys and they're from North Dakota. So we had a lot in common and kind of hit it off with those guys. But, uh, so, uh, those guys, I think they had a 46-inch fish and a 43. I think those were their two biggest. And maybe a 44, man. They did better than we did. Uh, I think our biggest was 43 inches, and we had like a 41 and, and some high 30s, you know. But, uh, goodness, I mean, it was just tremendous lake trout fishing. We spent a little bit of time casting for pike. I think the biggest pike we caught was 43 inches. Uh, we, uh, yeah, we caught quite a few pike. You know, we did some shore lunches with some pike and some small lake trout and uh yeah it was just a cool experience i mean definitely if if a if a big big lake trout like you know like say a fish over 30 pounds is really on your bucket list i mean you know there's only a handful of places where you could do it consistently you know and i would say taz and lake maybe a great slave uh you know, there's a couple of places where you go where you know they routinely catch you know or they catch fish over 40 pounds you know and so that's a whole other class of lake trout you know and so that was a really cool experience as well so and talk about who that you know who that might be best suited for you talk about the travel you know whether you fly in you know up there or you make that long drive and sort of the amenities like who's that best suited for you know it's just somebody that's really mad at lake trout that wants to catch They've caught 20-pound fish. They've caught 25-pound fish. They can't get a fish over 35 pounds. That would be, <laughs> and that's they really want to. Yeah, that's where you go. That's what you do. <laughs> yeah, so. 
Yeah, and tell me about the fishing when you were up there. Like, is that another deal? I mean, that's a fly-in deal. You're kind of isolated. Are there is there some DIY? Do you just get there and they put you in a boat, or is that a guided deal too? Kind of, and and how do they fish them? No, it's all uh, you know. Most of those flying camps, you know, at least a lot of the ones that we've been to, uh, like that. I mean, they have guides and stuff. I think I don't know if they have D D do-it-yourself packages or not, but uh, you know the guides, you know they know the lake and they know where all the deep water is and they know the reefs and everything like that. And it's pretty simple fishing. I mean, we were, we were pulling flat fish with 12 ounces of weight and we were trolling in uh, maybe 50 to 80, 90 feet of water to catch the biggest fish. But we caught the numbers. We caught most of the fish uh, just jigging with tubes. And so uh, Northland tackle makes a tube called a level head. It's just a big lake trout tube. And it's got a stinger hook on the back. And then we put a little strip of pike belly, on there usually and um caught a lot of fish on tubes you know but uh that was kind of the program we either jigged or we trolled and uh i would say we know we probably caught i don't know it's hard to say i i know we caught at least 30 fish per boat a day pretty easily and uh sometimes we broke up the day you know fishing for pike as well so were the conditions a factor for you while you're up there or what was it nice no it was beautiful weather couldn't ask for any nicer weather what was bizarre some days is that the you know the fires up in like northwest territories in alberta the, the forest fires you know sometimes you'd get a certain wind direction would be just a haze where you could hardly see 500 yards you know just like like a, just a haze uh but uh then the next day the wind would switch or something it would clear up and it would be blue skies you know but it was beautiful beautiful weather is that i mean is that a multi-species deal or i mean i suppose when you're up there and you're on that kind of lake trout water it's probably tough to even care to ever consider anything else but i mean you know the the, the walleyes the pike like what's the scene like up there well there's no walleyes in the lake it's just too far north gotcha uh, I know there was a big lake. I think it's, oh, goodness, what's it called? It's a famous lake trout lake, and it's huge. Um, oh, Athabasca? Yes, that's it, in northern Saskatchewan. We flew over it, but I looked online and saw that there was walleyes listed in that lake, but it's kind of right on the edge of where you start not no longer seeing walleyes. In fact, we weren't that far from the Northwest Territories. And um, so you had lake trout and pike were the only fish that I knew of. And I imagine there's probably whitefish and tulabees. Uh, there's probably suckers, you know, of some type in there. But uh, uh, lake trout is what people go up there for. And, you know, the pike fishing is pretty, pretty impressive. I think most people would probably be pretty happy going up there and just fishing for pike. You know, I mean, there's some really nice pike up there. So Yeah, man. Well, any, anything else about Tazan? Because you, you, we got one more we got to wrap off. Well, it was just over the top. I mean, it was just big fish. I mean, uh, the biggest one I caught was 43 inches. You know, I'm guessing with a 35 pound fish, I could, I could hardly lift it out of the net. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, I had eyes that were you know bigger than golf balls. I mean, it was just, uh, uh, it was incredible. I mean, just to see a fish like that in the water when you're reeling it in to see a fish like that swim away. I mean, it's like a shark, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, uh, I mean, you know, their, their mouths are so big you can stick your arm down their mouth. I mean, they're just, they're just massive, you know? And so it was cool. It was cool. Um, I mean, big lake trout are just a cool top of the line predator. I mean, if you're a 20 inch white fish, if you have a 45 inch lake trout swimming around, you are in big, big trouble. Yeah. 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 (laughs) No kidding. And like you said, like for perspective, you know, when you catch a fish like that, I mean, I don't I don't know what all the state records are down here in the lower 48, but any of the states that have 
lake trout in them. I mean, that's like a state record in basically every state, probably. Well, I mean, it's yeah, right there. That that's what I was talking about with the guys from rugby. You know, thinking, you know, geez, some of the biggest lake trout that we've seen this week, or some of the biggest lake trout that you see in this camp, you know, because they get you know forty eight inch lake trout. You know, uh, that would be a state record in almost every state, like every single state. You know, think about that. You know, I mean, they're they're trying to catch world records with line classes and everything else. You know, I mean, it's just a it's just a special place that way. I mean, you think about that. I mean, yeah, uh, you're, you're fishing for fish that don't even exist most places. Exactly. Totally. Now, then, you know, you just recently got back from uh, another Manitoba trip. Let's knock that one out. Oh, yeah. We went back up to Baker's Narrows, which you've been up there before with us oh, in the yeah. wintertime. And we've we've gone up there. And that's a that's a big lake trout destination, especially through the ice. You know, where through the ice, you know, they catch, you know, they catch fish over 40 inches. I think the biggest one they got last winter was 46. You know, so that's a tremendous, that's probably one of the, the best drive-to destinations. I, I would say uh, Athapap, uh, Baker's Narrows, and then Clearwater, and then maybe that Wakesco area, Reed Lake. You know, that's probably some of your best drive-to fishing for big giant lake trout for most people in the states you know i would say the only thing I would maybe even compare to it is if you had the right ice on lake superior at times where you get to some places you know but um it's uh it's tremendous but when we went up there this time you know it was late summer and um we spent a lot of time targeting the walleyes and so there's some huge walleyes up there <laughs> and uh it's, you know, classic uh, midsummer fishing where the fish are on deep structure. You know, I'm talking like, say, 20 to 30 foot main lake humps and big points, you know, stuff that comes out into deep water. And uh, those fish are on, you know, they're, they're, they're keying in on the ciscos or the tulabies, and then they come up on these on these on this deep structure basically to rest and so it was a lot of uh, vertical jigging it was a lot of glide baits it was uh pitching glide baits you know we were using active target to, to try to fine-tune stuff a little more and to get over the top of fish what we found up there and this is kind of typical um right away in the morning was the best for us especially for the bigger fish whereas we would see fish on active target maybe they were 30 feet away maybe they were 60 feet away whatever and we would cast to the fish, and we caught a few doing that, but we caught way more by moving the boat so we could get right over the top of them. And, uh, you know, these fish weren't spooking from the boat. You know, they were in, say, 24 feet of water. It's probably an average depth. And so we would see the fish on the active target. Then we would get over the top of the fish and then set up on them. And uh, we caught some fish on on uh, glide baits. I know uh, Mac, who was, uh, you know, I mean, he's a great guide up there, just a, just a fish head. But uh he was using chica minnows and jigging ramps. I was using a pitching puppet. We both caught fish on glide baits, but it, it seemed like the glide bait bite kind of went in spurts where you'd maybe get a maybe an aggressive reaction out of a fish or two, and then those fish would just kind of shut down, and then we would just hang jigs over the side of the boat and keep it, you know, like like on the bottom or six inches off the bottom, like right on the bottom, hardly doing anything with the jig with either a frozen shiner or a half crawler and uh, that's probably how we caught by far we caught the most fish and so uh you know pretty typical i think what happens with a lot of these fish that are keying in on these tulabies and ciscos you know as they go out over that abyss they go out over that open water they're chasing that i guess you'd call a cool water pelagic bait fish around out over open water and then when they get done eating they set up on that structure and they rest and so i don't think they move up on those spots to feed 
or eat, they go up on those spots to digest their last meal. And so sometimes with that being said, you know, just, you know, I'm saying that just so get a mental picture, wrap your head around is that sometimes you can be on those spots and they're covered with fish and they're fickle. I mean, you're just pulling your hair out trying to catch them. You catch one here and one there and it's just kind of slow, methodical fishing. Then all of a sudden you just get an hour where you catch a, 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 much higher percentage of the fish that you're marking or the fish that you're seeing just because they're coming out of that slump or they're done digesting. They're starting to move around. They're getting ready to push off and chase siskels again. And when you catch them before they push off, you know, that's probably the best window as far as those fish eating. And so sometimes you have to give those spots time. And we've seen that on Fort Peck. We've seen that in Northern Canada. We've seen that in Northern Minnesota, wherever you have siskels or tulabies, big walleyes, deep structure, you have to fish it a certain way with a certain mindset. You just can't hop in for 20 minutes and, oh, they're not biting and then leave. you gotta, you got to find those fish and put your head down and spend some time on them and you'll catch them. But you, usually you got to spend some time on them. I like it. That Baker's Narrows, like you said, I've just cherished the opportunities to go up there and experience that. Uh, and do the projects that we've done up there uh, you know the people obviously everything you know going on up there is really awesome but it is like the epitome of you know a, a Canadian drive to where there's just a bunch of uh you know just a bunch of big fish to be fishing for whether it's walleyes pike you know like you said trout you're just in a place in the world where you're surrounded by a bunch of big fish and uh you know and, and well and here's what's cool too is we spent some time casting for pike you know and throwing either uh through wire swim baits you know uh big spinner baits and we caught some really big pike you know and so that was a lot of fun i mean i could go up there just to pike fish no problem i mean those big pikers the most violent fish oh my god it, it, they're just violent, you know, and they're violent when they hit the lure. They're violent when they're thrashing around the net. They're violent when they swim away. I mean, they're just, I mean, they're just, you can hardly hold them in your hands because they're just, you can just feel the muscles just tensing up and trying to roll and flip and fight. I mean, they, they just don't stop, you know, and so the big pike up there are tremendous. I mean, the biggest pike we caught was, again, about 43 inches, but it was a much thicker, heavier fish than, like, a the biggest pike we caught up at Tazins. I mean, these are heavy pike. Uh, they would have weighed out really well. And um, that was an option. And the other thing that we did that was kind of unique and really got my wheels turned is we went into some of their backcountry lakes. We went to one of their backcountry lakes. One day we took ATVs and we went, I don't, you know, everything's kilometers up there. So it took us about an hour and a half to get back into this lake. And uh, we're driving through these big mud puddles. We're driving across streams. We're driving through the bush. And, you know, tree branches are slapping in the face. And it's just an adventure getting in there. And they've got some boats stashed back in these lakes, which they actually get the boats in there in the wintertime by dragging them across the snow with snowmobiles. And so they just drag a motor and some gas in back in these lakes. And these lakes, I mean, with the exception of a flying lake, they don't ever get fish. I mean, a flying lake is about the only thing that would be comparable because nobody puts in the effort to go back in there and just crazy stupid good easy walleye fishing you know yeah. and just over the top and i can't imagine going I, I can't wait to go back up there and go back into some of those lakes in the winter time with, with snowmobile and ice fish some of those lakes it's got to be just unbelievable yeah man i just love hearing that kind of stuff because you know like you said it's not like the fish are, uh, you know, are always just completely stupid, right? I mean, they're going through patterns at time of year, and 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 you can you can go through, you know, a couple hours of tough fishing, but even like a tough day or a tough afternoon of fishing up there this time of year, 
with the caliber of fish you're on, the experience, the everything, the the scenery, the landscape, everything that you're experiencing when you're up there. A tough day or a tough afternoon this time of year up there is just so much better on for the average tough afternoon that we're experiencing down here so yeah but you know you got to put it in perspective like a tough afternoon anywhere is great right i mean you're going to have tough afternoons i mean that's you know i mean who doesn't right i mean yeah. uh so a lot of it i think with fishing is just attitude where i mean you have to care right you got you're up there to catch fish you're trying different things you're putting in the effort you're putting in the work but if you mentally get dragged down whenever things get tough um i feel like it just affects everything you know, so we just have kind of this, you know, I don't know, this nonchalant, go lucky attitude where when it's tough or it ain't working, whatever, we just keep plugging along. And then we plug along long enough until it changes or turns or, you know, something's different, you know. And so, you know, I think it's just a lot of it's just attitude. It doesn't matter where you're fishing. Um, you can have tough fishing and, you know, so what? I mean, you just keep trying different things and sooner or later you'll figure something out and you always take something away. And, um, you know, you just have to kind of enjoy that process. You know, it's just uh, fishing isn't always just catching fish nonstop. You know, those are just the little windows that you work for and you hope for, and you live for. But um, in between, there's a whole lot of all kinds of other things. You know, there's things that break. There's, um, you know, all kinds of stuff going on. You know? yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, backlash, yeah. right? I mean, whatever. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, you just embrace all of it and, you, you know, out there for a good time you know and i i think if you, if you kind of have that attitude then um i think you uh i think you just do better when you're on the water yeah and there's a lot to love to being up in a place like that experiencing it experiencing it like that well that's that's kind of your canadian tour man i appreciate the time on this buds we talked about last mountain lake we talked about Taz and Bakers. We could realistically do a full podcast on each and every one of these. It, we just, you know, we just don't have that in our schedule. Uh, and also, you're going to get so much, uh, you know, uh, of the content when this stuff comes out on YouTube. Some of them are already uh, produced and out there because we're you know, some of this is definitely a look back on the summer, and uh, and then you know some of this will be down the road. But yeah, man. Uh, definitely wanted to do this with you i wanted to get some of the behind the scenes stories some of the context you know that just doesn't quite fit you know in the final edit of uh, you know the video type stuff and uh yeah man this is awesome i i like these conversations we have them all the time uh when we're together uh but yeah and i wasn't even on all these trips so i'm learning and enjoying it too so anyways anything else along those lines man we're really good on time and we can wrap it up yeah no just uh enjoy every day you know every day is a blessing every day you get to see the sunrise is another blessing and uh when you're out on the water it's that much better and you know and just go out there with the attempt to try to learn as much as you can you know and everything else will happen so all right man thanks jason you bet, you bet.